Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, welcome to St. Joe Radio. Uh, my name is Sean Miller. I'm both the uh, the host as well as the uh, the guest. I get, I guess you could say today. I'm a I'm a director of religious education uh, at the Immaculate Mary Church in New Melly. I've been there for about 25 years, believe it or not, and. Uh, it's uh, just been a privilege to try and help uh, bring the content and, and the person and experience of the faith to, to folks, and I'm, I'm privileged to be able to do this. We're at part two of a of a series of talks about why God became man. Really, this is my memory Christmas to you. I say memory Christmas, so I got in the letters of the word Christmas, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, I've got this memory aid uh, for each of those letters. Uh, at the height of it in the nine-letter word is S. As to why Christ came, S standing for Savior. Christ is the Savior of the world. We celebrate that when he came to earth uh, 2,000 years ago. But um, we want to celebrate it now and try and say whenever we gather together or think about the incarnation, its meaning, we want to really ponder the thing, why did Christ come for me personally? What does that all mean? So I just want to um, recap a little bit of our of a talk one that we did last time, and then this is going to be a, uh, a part two. So briefly, in preparation for this, I kind of went through all the um, the biblical texts that I could find where Jesus said directly, like, I came so that, I have come to fulfill, this is the reason why the Son of God came, etc. Both from the Lord's direct words or indirect, and then as well as from other uh, New Testament writings in St. Peter and uh, and St. Paul. And uh, and really, before I get into the specifics of the memory aid in, in a summary, I just want to look back at what we talked about in terms of the big picture. I mean, at the end of the day... God became man to help, to allow us to share in the exchange of who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love. He's a trinity. That's a revelation from God from on high. And the second person of the trinity became man to both visit humanity, but to do a, a, a sacrificial salvific role in taking on the one thing that would hinder us from sharing that exchange, which is sin, disobedience, that I shall not serve. I don't want this part of it. I want to stay in the darkness. This is what Christ came to bring us light. And so last time we spoke about that big picture of, of sharing that exchange, that is what Christmas is, Christ Mass. Think about when we gather at the Christmas Mass, Christ Mass, that uh, we, we unite ourselves into this great exchange at every Mass. But in, in fact, like in the opening prayer for Mass during Christmas Day, that's what I want to lead off again uh, our time here now, just to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O God, who wonderfully created the dignity of human nature and still more wonderfully restored it, grant, we pray, that we may share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever, amen. 
You know, you've heard uh, or seen the bumper stickers, keep Christ in Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. I like the one that says put the mass back into Christmas because, again, we um, forget about this is why we celebrate. We're entering into this great exchange. It's reason for rejoice. I mean, we, we're, we're fortunate to be able to have this gift every day, the Mass. But at Christ's Mass, it's both a, a more of a communal joyous celebration of this great fact of what took place 2,000 years ago. You know, you think about every Mass, the priest says, by the mystery of this water and wine may we share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. You know, that's what we prayed at the opening prayer for Christmas. But that's prayed at, at every Mass. You know, the water represents our human nature. The wine represents Christ's divine nature. They're commingled. They're shared. The Bible's entire story is to marry us. So we talked last time about the reason why the Lord comes is for the return of the king to his kingdom, the bridegroom for the bride. Humanity, divinity are to meet. Christ comes to to save us, to unite ourselves to us, to himself to us. So he gives us this white baptismal garment. It's like our wedding dress. And he comes to... He, he, he wants to make the bride clean. He, he died to, to make her clean, to give us the, the, quote, the detergent, the cleaning agent, the sacrificial love and grace to take our disgraced wedding garment, our adulterous, sinful wedding garment that we've fallen into, that we've allowed to become stained. And he's willing to clean us up, make us snow white, give us the power to do this. So the bridegroom comes on behalf of his bride to save his bride, to pull her out of this kingdom of darkness. So we said that really one of the first reasons that the, the sea of the memory of Christmas was to conquer the source of that sin and darkness, which is, is Satan, the fall of man. I mean, since the fall, um, Satan and the kingdom of darkness has, has had a certain power over each one of us. We're in a cultural fog, a, a smog, whatever it might be, is that we don't see clearly, we don't think clearly, our intellect is, is darkened, our will is weakened, and we've got this certain um, power over us. So Christ comes at its source to go to conquer it as soon as he is, begins his public ministry. Um, he, he goes down to the lowest place on earth is empowered in the spirit to go forth to take on Satan, his whole public ministry. He, he cast out demons. He, um, he fought the dark side. He conquered it through the cross. He took the curse of sin up, up, upon himself. And that ultimately, like, it's like the great scene in the movie The Passion. Once, once the crucifixion is, is ended, you can see that the power of Satan, his kingdom, is done. The sting has been taken out of, of the wasp. There is no reason to be fear, although... You know, it's only only he can only affect us if we get within his realm. But if we stay try and stay in the kingdom of light, you know, we should have no fear. So Christ comes to take away the darkness, and the, and, the, and the one thing that's held us all in bondage, which is um, fear of death, is that Christ, in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, has kind of overcome all that to uh, make his bride clean, ready, pure. We talked about typology and all the foreshadowings of Christ uh, before he came. You know, like they said, if uh, if you if God was to come to this earth, you'd expect that he'd be pre-announced. He was through these great figures from Adam, Noah, David, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. You have all these prophecies, etc. The biggest one was in 2 Samuel 7, or one of the biggest ones. 2 Samuel 7, there'd always be, be a successor on the throne of David. Christ comes as the son of David to uh, both... Uh, fulfill all that uh, would be this kingdom world without end. But ultimately, when you think about the word kingdom, we think about this restoration of the tribes. Christ comes 
to restore the tribes, the kingdoms of, of, of earth, both of Israel as well as of the Gentile nations. He comes to set things right. So again, the main thing is Savior. Christ comes to save us. That's what his name means, Yeshua. He will save his people from their sins. Ultimately, if our greatest need was education, Christ would have come to give us a teacher, or God would have sent a teacher. If our ultimate uh, thing was uh, sickness, he'd, he'd have come to give us a doctor. But our ultimate need was uh, forgiveness, and we needed a Savior. So Ultimately, we start with CHR that we covered last time after after these introductory comments. Um, you know, and again, just to kind of go through the listing: C conquer, H heal, R reconcile, I intercede, S save, T teach, M model, A adopt, S send. So we got through conquer, heal, reconcile. But just a quick word about when we're talking about all this, this is really a summary of the gospel. Sometimes we, we as Catholics, we feel um, kind of intimidated, like, you know, go out, share your faith, evangelize. It's all great. Well, like what, what, how, where? So, I mean, if you look at the core, what is the gospel? To kind of keep it simple, I would say, just say Christmas and Easter, <laughs> that's what a lot of Catholics, sadly, that's the only time they go to Mass. But, I mean, at least they see that as central, like Christmas. What is Christmas? God's come to earth. The Word became flesh. We can know what the mind has in mind. It's a very great luxury. God has shown us the way. He's given us his light, his truth. You know, and then he lived and he died for, for, for sin. So, and he, and he, but then Easter, he resurrected. So during Easter and the whole time of Lent, we celebrate the fact that Christ took on sin, nailed it to the cross, took our punishment that we deserve, and then he resurrected that life. Sin no longer has its pull. The price has been paid. We've been purchased. We're now clean. We can choose it or we can reject you know, reject it. So that's kind of the gospel I'd say. Christmas and Easter. The word became flesh. That's the what. The why is so that we can be saved and to be resurrected to live life eternally. We're so focused on this life that we got to kind of set our minds on things that are above ultimately, you know, but Christ comes for all that in time and in eternity. So he came to conquer, he went to its source and he took on the dark side. He took on Satan head on, you know, again, every, every year we don't like to talk about it because it's sometimes abstract. It's hard to understand the spiritual forces at work, but you know, every time um, at Easter, we're called to renew our baptismal promises First thing we say is, do you reject Satan as all his empty works and promises, his empty show? You know, are you in line with the kingdom of, of darkness? Are you with the kingdom of light? So when, when the Lord came to St. Paul, that's what he said. I've come to pull people out of that kingdom of darkness and into the light. And we know what the darkness is, the works of the flesh, you know, seven deadly sins, all that stuff. It's no good. You know, so Christ comes to heal us from that, right? Um, to heal us in our own weaknesses or brokenness, mentally, spiritually, physically. I mean, last time I probably spoke a little bit too much about physical healing, but it's like that's one of the great signs of the kingdom too is that Christ is going to heal to kind of to wow us, but then to woo us. But ultimately those are meant to kind of point to the greater thing. Who gives a rip if you've been healed of your blindness or you can run now if you were lame if it doesn't lead you to walk and see in the paths of the kingdom? So it's only about spiritual truth, spiritual healing, spiritual seeing, seeing, you know, spiritual walking. You know, we're dead men walking, a lot of us, in, in sin. Christ comes to raise us from the dead. You know, these are sacraments and so forth. So, so he comes to heal us, 
and uh, to bring us into this union. He, he loves us as we are, as persons. He knows us by name. He knows who we are. He knows our brokenness. So Christ comes to say, I, I want to show you and I want to heal you so that your mind is straight, your heart is right, you know, you can place your trust in me. And, you know, if you got some some other issues, I can enter into those too. You know, but ultimately, I want union with you. You're my bride. You're my beloved. I came for you. I come to clean you up. I come to show you the way. I come to lead you to me, but I can't force you against your will. Love has got to be love. It's got to be free. So if you want to enter into this, Here's all the ways I can without forcing your free will, you know, to conform. So then Christ, you know, he, he makes this all possible by, by reconciling us. I mean, bottom line, you know, reconcile means to bring back together. So I said, just imagine you got these two cliffs. One is God, one is man. It's, it's an unbridgeable divide. So only a God man could kind of restore that divide. So we look at like, I got this image of this, this cross that's kind of laid between these two great you know, mountain ranges, and it's that bridge, that cross we walk across to go from man to God, and only the God-man could do that. So Christ has reconciled us, has repaired, restored, renewed. We talked about the term recapitulation. So from beginning to end, from from being the new Adam on to the new Moses on to the new David, Christ looks at all the time when Old Testament counterparts blew it but Christ restores that. You know, he's the new Adam, right? He goes into the new garden on a new tree, gives us a new fruit. He's a new Moses. He goes up a new mountain, gives us a new teaching, you know, gives us new powers. So he recapitulates, he restores, he reconciles. So now we're at one atonement with, with, with God. We've got the ability to then walk this path. So that's a beautiful thing. So then we kind of move on to that, you know, and it's all because of Christmas and resurrection, right? He comes to die. We come to live. He comes to die to take on this role as Savior. So ultimately, you know, in, in this in this task, you can think about, you know, um, God seeing his creation, sinful man making him free, knowing that man has a choice. Um, he, he, he decides in his sheer gratuitous love to step out of eternity into time and to offer that level of intercession. So I intercede. You think about that scene in the Old Testament where uh, – it's uh, Moses is on the hilltop with um, it's Aaron and her. They're standing on the side of Moses and they're holding up his arms while Joshua, which is the name Jesus, is in battle with the enemy. And so it says as long as Moses' arms were held up, which kind of was a sign of prayer and intercession, they were winning the battle. But, you know, he had them propped up. So that's really kind of an image for the Lord's arms being propped up on the cross. You know, victory has been won. It is won because he's nailed there. He's propped up. And, you know, through that death, through that intercession for, for mankind, on mankind's behalf, is that victory has become our, he's conquered sin and death, which is the ultimate enemy. You know, at the end of the day, we all got our battles and struggles, but we're talking about eternity here, you know, and the one big thing that can hold us from sharing that great exchange of who is God is sin, which is saying that I want darkness over light. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one of the big questions right now is after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension, what is Jesus doing now? So you think about this is that the Lord ascended uh, 
for a reason, right? That he's not just going to be here physically located geographically in one spot. He wants his spirit to pervade the whole world. You know, and like I said before, is that when he sends the spirit, it's like showering the bride with gifts. The bride is his church. Think about a shower. Husband and wife, they, they, they're going to they're gonna get married or they're having a baby. They get gifts. Well, the Lord sends us these gifts of the spirit. And it's to enable the, quote, the young couple, the early church, now this, you know, bridegroom united with his bride to live this life, to kind of, uh, you know, follow through and, and carry out their work. They've got tools now. To do, to do this. So the Lord sends his spirit, gives us gifts, but then it says that he is, he's entered the eternal heavenly sanctuary to intercede for us constantly, perpetually. Hebrews 7.25, it says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Christ Jesus, who died and was raised from the dead, he's at the right hand of God. He is interceding for us. It's as if almost like he's holding up his wounds, the wounds that still maintain the scars. And it's like the light of the Father is shining through them, coming through the, as rays of the Spirit, and then coming into his church, filling it, bringing it, gracing it, enabling it. You know, helping it to be the continuation of his incarnation in, in time. I mean, one thing we think about um, the incarnation is, you know, we think it just ended at Christmas. Really, it, it, it goes on now. So, again, you're listening to uh, St. Joe Radio Presents. We're at the Rome of the West. My name is Sean Miller, and we're trying to bring you some um, some Catholic um, words in Christian broadcasting. And we were talking about, like, part two of this Christmas memory. This is my memory Christmas to you. Hopefully, as you go through these letters of this memory aid, you'll learn a little bit more about Christmas, and then it'll help us to kind of celebrate even more. So we've talked about C-H-R-I, conquer, heal, reconcile, intercede, is that the Lord is, is interceding us for us even now. So he's lifted up, but there, now in heaven, he's exercising his eternal priesthood. I mean, sometimes we forget about that. Christ comes as high priest. You know, you know, like the high priest of old, they entered into the Holy of Holies, you know, and they and through their actions there, they begged God for mercy. And and there was this atonement. There was this Yom Kippur. The scapegoat was sacrificed. Well, I mean, you, you apply all, all that to Christ. You know, he was the scapegoat. He took the sins of the world. He is the high priest and the victim, you know, and now he enters into the true Holy of Holies, the sanctuary of heaven. And now he's bringing atonement and grace and blessing, exercising his high priesthood for all eternity. I mean, one of the things we got to think about whenever we go to Mass is that, like, the presider is, is Jesus. He is the invisible high priest presider working through the physical earthly presider we call the priest or the bishop. You know, but Christ is the one doing the work there. Now, what's really fascinating about about Christianity, you know, like, again, we are the bride of Christ, and we've been given a new name, kind of like a wife takes the name of the husband, you know, so our name is now Christian. And so what makes what Christ gave to us, I mean, of all the things, he gave us his name to call on, to call on, I mean, you think about when God first revealed his name to Moses, 
who shall I say who sent me? And he says, I am who am. You're like, what, is, what does that mean? You know? And then there's all talk about, well, that means God's essence is his existence, et cetera. And it's all kind of, it's mysterious. Let's put it that way. It's cryptic. But when Christ comes, we can know the name of the God-man. It's Jesus. And that we can, we can call on that name. And that he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will give you your joy may be full. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, granted, we all know, I mean, if we're mature in faith, that you just can't say, God, give me a million bucks. I mean, at the end of the day, the Lord wants, he has a plan in his will, but but, but we, can, we, can, we can call on that name and ask for his grace and his mercy to intercede for us and knowing that he'll give us what he, he knows is best for our salvation, both in time and in eternity. But what's new about the coming of Christ, what's new in terms of his intercessory power is that we can ask in his name. And we can have confidence that our petitions are going to be heard. I mean, it's just a fact. we gotta, we got to really realize this as believers, that we've been given this name to call upon. And that, and again, we always got to say, thy will be done. We can't just you know manipulate him as if it's a magic formula. But we can have confidence that when we say our prayer in the name of Jesus, our prayer will be heard and we're entrusting him to take care of it. And ultimately, I don't care what we see as fruits in this life. Ultimately, it's about what's in the next. So again, that's from intercession and to ask is to, is to save. I mean, Christ saves us. We said this is the, the, the name of Jesus. This is why he came. I mean, I'll just let the scriptures speak for themselves, right? She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Yeshua means Yahweh saves. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He sent the son into the world, not to condemn it, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Timothy 1 says, this saying is sure and worthy, full of acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So again, I talked about the Romans road, typical evangelical kind of a formula for like, you know, what does it mean to be saved, so to speak? All have sinned and fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short. The wages of sin is death. God loved us that while we were still sinners, Christ came to die for us. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. We kind of have more of an expanded vision of, of that. I spoke about that in terms of like, what is the gospel? But but again, the wages of sin is death. We're going to be rendered uh, justice, judgment day, you know, according to how we responded or didn't respond into, into love and charity. You know, uh, did I choose the good, the true, and the beautiful, or did I choose the dark side? Now, now again, I, I think one of the things is that it can help Sometimes when we see like physical salvation, I mean, in the Old Testament, they talked about, um, you know, when you were saved, basically you're being saved from your enemies. You know, you would come in, if you, if your enemies were conquered, you were saved. And then people love that, right? Who, who wouldn't be, especially if you were the Jews back in the Old Testament where they were conquered by everybody all the time, it seemed like. But they had these messiahs, these anointed ones, these deliverers, you know, David par excellence, and then, and then Solomon. They wanted one day when someone would finally come as the ultimate messiah, the ultimate anointed one, and save him. Little did they know that this would be actually the God coming in the flesh. But think about being saved from earthly death. I mean, have you ever seen some of those commercials about like the life vac where somebody's choking on uh, some something and then, especially if it's like an infant, and uh, there was this one commercial I, I watched where this baby is dying, choking to death, 
everybody can imagine is unbelievably frightened. This guy goes, gets this device, puts it over the child's face, you know, pops out this pancake or whatever he was choking on, and he saved. And then just the, the joy, the relief, the unbelievable emotional appeal of that um, was amazing. And I think that's how we should almost feel for Christ pulling us out of our choking life, choking on sin. I mean, think about it in the scriptures where they're, the apostles, they're, they're, they're drowning in the boat. And there's no greater fear probably than thinking about being in a boat and drowning and, or, or suffocating or whatnot. But then Christ comes to save them, you know. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he pulls them out of the water, you know. So, um, But that is nothing compared to being drowned in the eternal death where, you know, we talk about hell as being the state of definitive, eternal self-exclusion from communion from God. Now, being saved from an eternal death of exclusion from God, I mean, if that shouldn't cause us to long to cry out. Now, I always thought about this. If you think about the the, the crucifixion, and you look at the image, especially if you've watched the movie The Passion, you know, um, if it took Almighty God to become man and to choose to suffer and die an incomprehensible and horrible death in order to save us from something, something then that something must have been incomprehensibly horrible. You know, salvation is not just in physical stuff. It's not just economic coming through. It's not just being uh, saved from some kind of enemy force, but being saved from eternal death and non-communion with God. I mean, that's that's a biggie. But it costs a price, right? Forgiveness costs. It costs the death of the Son of Man. You know, now one of the things you think about, you might have seen billboards that say, Jesus saves sinners. Well, that's true, but the question is, 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 is how? How does he do it? You know, you think about one of the readings we have at Christmas. This is from Titus 3. It saved us that when the kindness and generous love of God our Savior appeared, not because of any righteous deeds we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us how? Through the bath and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Okay, what's that talking about? It's talking about baptism. You know, uh, again, Christ takes the poison of sin within himself. And then now think about the image of divine mercy. When Christ was on the cross, his side is pierced, blood and water flow out. You know, the word side there is the same word that's used for rib. We, we think about Eve being formed from the rib of Adam. You know, out of Adam's side comes Eve, comes the mother. So out of, out of Jesus' side comes Mother Church, these two sacraments, baptism and Eucharist. So these are going to be these sacraments, these vaccines, we'll say, cures from the cross to counter the curse from, the, from, from, from sin. So when we come back, we're going to um, talk more about this. C-H-R-I, we're in S, Christ is our Savior. Now it comes to us in these sacraments. See you after the break.
Hi, this is Matt Logaman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea, a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and seven medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters V. E-R-S-N-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B. In Latin reference, which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally, located at the top is the word Pax, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio. Check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Okay, welcome back. Uh, my name is Sean Miller, and we're talking about um, Christmas, a memorade. We're at the C-H-R-I-S. We're at the um, letter S, which is the, is the high point. It's salvation. Christ comes as the Savior of the world. We were mentioning about Jesus saves sinners. We've heard that line, but the question is how. We'll say it's really faith and sacraments, believe and receive. So how do you get access to the cross? You know, Well, it's one thing to kind of make an intellectual, personal act of faith, but it's another thing also to kind of receive that... that uh, <laughs> That cure personally, you know, you think about the word curse and cures, take the S and the E at the end of it and change it. This is what Christ has done from the cross. So these these sacraments are are, are these cures, these medicines. And I, I think about, again, when the Lord's heart is, is, is his side is, is pierced. Out comes the blood and water. That's always been symbols in the church of baptism and Eucharist, the two foundational sacraments. You think about birth and life, blood and water, but out of the sacred heart chamber, I've got this memory chamber, confirmation, holy orders, anointing of the sick, marriage, baptism, Eucharist, reconciliation. These seven life-giving medicines that cause us to share in this life. This is salvation applied. At the top, think about an eye chart. E is at the top typically. It's the Eucharist. I mean, Christ said, I came down from heaven. Why? To give you the bread of life. I am this bread of life. The bread I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. He who eats this flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. So Christ comes. You think about Christmas. He's born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. He's placed in a manger. That means to eat, feeding trough for lower animals. Christ comes. This is the application of his divine life, his salvation. It contains within itself the power of salvation. So Again, so much more could be said. Moving on, we get into tea. Christ comes to teach. And we think about the Lord's whole ministry. He was teaching everywhere. He taught about how to live, how to pray. You know, he says to Pilate, for this I was born. 
And for this I have come, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So the Christ has come to teach, to preach, to show us, but to lead us in the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. You know, Moses had foretold that this great prophet would come, you know, and you will listen to him. And you think about <clears throat> when he appeared at, with the Lord at the Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know, the law and the prophets, it all pointed to Christ. He's going to be the definitive teacher. You know, I, I've always liked this because, like, um, you know, growing up, um, you know, we, we were raised to live a moral life. But, you know, oftentimes we weren't really kind of given instruction as meaning and purpose and end and goal and what is this all about and, and, and whatnot. So I always liked that the line, um, I think Frank Sheet said, he goes, being lost in sin is only one way of being lost. Not knowing who we are or where we're going is another way of being lost. And Christ comes to be the teacher to show us the way. Now, we live in a world where we think science has explained everything, but that's just a joke. I mean, science can't explain what life's about, why we're here, what value he has, whether death is the end, or what if, if anything comes next, you know, et cetera. So, so there's this great book, Frank Sheet, in Theology and Sanity, where he says, we got to get these religious questions, you know, to take them seriously. And he said, without such a communication from on high, the most gifted scientist or philosopher is no nearer knowing the answers to these big questions than the least gifted caveman. But God has communicated in many ways especially to the prophets, most richly in Christ. So he, again, great quote, won't read it all, but he goes, but there is a mind, a divine mind, and through Christ we can know what the mind has in mind. We can know what life is about. We can try to live accordingly. It is a very great luxury. We can have joy knowing meaning and purpose and trying to follow. So when Christ comes as teacher, that's a big deal. You know, this isn't just one voice amongst many. This is the definitive voice. And I, and I just love that because, you know, in this day and age of so much confusion on, on so many things at so many levels, we, we just need a, a voice, a shepherd's voice to kind of guide us. Now, uh, there's this great quote that Pope Benedict had. He, he, he wrote a series of three books on Jesus of Nazareth. And that he uh, takes a quote that people think that when, that when the Lord would come, when the Messiah would come, he'd bring about this universal peace and prosperity. So he says, you know, what, what did Jesus bring? Since we don't seem to have this universal prosperity that we're longing for at the second coming. He said the answer is simple. He's brought God. He's brought God who's formerly, un, un, you know, veiled before this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true God. He's brought God, and we can know his face. We can call upon him. And now we can know the path that human beings can take in this world. So we can know about what life is, what life's about. He said, it is only because of our hardness of heart that we think that this is, is too little. So the Pope speaks about you know, knowing this truth, knowing this teaching, you know, and this is why studying the scriptures is so important, is that, you know, we can really know the Lord. His, we can have, begin to think his thoughts, love what he loves, dislike what he dislikes. We can be friends with Jesus. I mean, I always say that, thank you, Lord, for your friendship. You know, I'm an unworthy wretch. I don't deserve anything. But, you know, your water is mixed. I mean, your wine is mixed with my water. Grace builds on nature. I can trust in you. I can follow you. You know, have mercy upon me. But friendship with Jesus, that's a beautiful thing. So again, now we go to the letter I, to model, 
to model holiness. I mean, that's specifically what the Catechism says that the Lord, one of the reasons why he came. No greater love does a man have than this than to lay down his life for his friends. I mean, talking about friendship, he models true friendship. Being willing to die for your friends, but to teach, to guide. So, so Jesus reveals both God to man as well as man to man. You know, I, I mean, this is one of the things that I would, I would love to see is that everybody that's a professional in whatever field, especially counseling, you know, psychology or whatever, is that we could really know um, the person of Christ. Because if he truly is, reveals God to man, but also man to man, then he knows everything about human nature. He knows how to guide us in the right thinking, right choosing, right living, etc. You know, so it's like I was uh, uh, having a, a conversation today with this guy at work, and then this couple comes in. She goes, "What are you all doing?" I said, "Well, we're we're solving the problems of the world." And she goes, "Oh yeah." And I said, "Well, Jesus is still the answer, but not not as many people are asking the question." You know, and I'm like, in terms of the questions for you know what is the meaning and purpose of life and 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 how to live, you know, we have Christ. So at the center is the Beatitudes. You know, this is the really way for a happy life, which everybody wants everybody to be happy, right? And so the Lord gives us these things that are kind of paradoxical when you think about them. They seem to be contrary to what the world values, you know? Uh, but it's like he gives us these things because he knows what a happiness, what a, what, what a happy life is. I mean, Fulton Sheen, he goes, all false beatitudes, which make happiness depend on self-expression, on license, doing what you want, having a good time, or eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Jesus scorns these because he knows what they do. They bring mental disorders, unhappiness, false hopes, fears, and anxieties. But when you when you see the teaching of Christ, you really try to grasp these beatitudes. You, um, I don't know, it, it kind of... Uh, helps you to think of, of about the higher things. I mean, just f- for example, I mean, Bishop Barron, Bishop Barron's been good about this. He he takes the Beatitudes. They're mentioned in in uh, in Matthew and, and also in Luke. I mean, like he said, modern translation would, would be like, um, you know, you think about this, blessed are the poor in spirit for, for, for the kingdom of, of God is theirs. He, he says, how blessed are you if you're poor? How blessed are you if you are not addicted to material things? How lucky are you? Because Why? You get it addicted to material things, it changes your life. Think about how blessed are you if you are not addicted to sensual pleasure. Look at how sensual pleasure just ruins people's lives in, the, in, the, in, the, in just the ultimate pursuit of it. Blessed are you if you are not attached to good feelings. Think about how we live for honor and power and, and, and wealth. Blessed are you when you're not attached to the esteem of others. You know, so these Beatitudes, if you kind of put them in modern day lingo, it's like it's, it's really a sense of detachment. That a life that's blessed is not being addicted to anything that would cause you to have a false god, a false idol, because that stuff just destroys. So at the end, end of the day, Christ comes to model that in his teaching, in, in, in his life. He said, remember at the Last Supper when he washes their feet, I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done for you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I has loved you. So Paul says, you know, have the mind of Christ. The goal is that we not just learn his teaching, but we also look at his example, how he endured suffering, how he endured ridicule, how, how he tried to kind of work his way in this world with wisdom, you know, how he prayed, you know, the things he said. So then he invites us to follow him on that road to holiness. He is the way, the truth, and life. You know, think about this. 
and take up your cross. It's not going to be an easy road. Follow me. You know, sometimes it's a call to sell all you have. You know, we're called to have this new life in Christ. He tells us, you know, if you don't keep the commandments, you don't love me. So it's like, follow me, keep the commandments, follow my new law of love as, as well. I mean, there's a great text that Paul writes about new life in Christ, where he kind of gives a practical summary. This is in Colossians 3. You know, and there's all these different texts about what a life in Christ looks like. You know, so um, he says this, you know, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on as God's chosen ones, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, patience, forbearing one another forgiving one another. And above these, put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, Paul really gives a great summary there. I mean, it was a popular, I don't know, it, I guess it still is, but the, the, the line, what would Jesus do, WWJD? And, that, and that's a great start, you know, like to kind of think about how would Jesus handle the situation? I think one of the dangers, though, is that it can be easily reduced to, uh, like, how do I be nice in this situation? You know, I mean, when you look at what would Jesus do, you got to be centered in how he related to people in the scriptures. And he wasn't always a warm, fuzzy, nice guy. You know, calling a pack of people, you know, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, whatnot, uh, you know, really, it's it's really trying to say that this is we're not following the uh, the church of nice. This is the church of Christ. And so really, it's not just about imitating Jesus. You know, that's I mean, there's a group out there that's, I think, a bestseller next to the Bible. Thomas Akempis is the imitation of Christ. That's a great devotional work of, of imitating the Christ of the Gospels. But remember, really, the goal is it's it's the participation in Christ is that you know, I'm, I'm not called to act like a 30-something-year-old Jewish carpenter. I'm called to allow the Spirit to, to work in me, to be a Christian. His personality, working through my personality, allowing him to kind of increase, I must decrease. So I need his grace to do that, to participate in his love and, love and life. I can't love on my own power. I can't teach and do anything on my own power. But, but in terms of his love and grace working through me, yeah, br bring it on. You know, so it's a participation. Paul, his main thing is about living in Christ. So Christ models it. He teaches it. But ultimately, he draws us into it. And that's when we get into the letter A, adopt. So Christ wants to adopt us into his life, into his family, as his children. I mean, really, it is an amazing thing when we say uh, at Mass, like, you know, we dare to say, our Father, Father. Who art heaven, and that's blasphemy to some some other religions, you know. To call God Father, you know, who do we think we are? But we're children. We're, we've now been given in Christ a new name, Christians. We can call on that name. We're now sons in the Son, you know, and we can call on Him as as Father. So, how does this happen? Well, I said it, it's in the sacraments, right? We're adopted into His life. By being born anew by water and the, and the Spirit. You know, think about this. Baptism is the adoption by the Father from our natural birth in the old Adam's family. Again, think about the Adam's family in the show. Like We're like lovable monsters. 
to our supernatural birth in the new Adam's family, in Christ the Son, through the power of the Spirit. So what Christ is by nature, as Son, we can become by grace as adopted children, sons in the Son. You know, adoption is a beautiful thing. So I mean, this is how when the Lord said, I have came that they might have life and have it more abundantly, he adopts us as his children. Galatians 4 says, but when the time, but when the set time had fully God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. <clears throat> Excuse me for just one second here. Okay, adoption to sonship. I mean, think about the story of Pinocchio. You know, he's got these strings attached to him. And that's kind of like the Old Testament law. Remember, Christ come to take the curse of that law, to take all those attached strings unto himself, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then basically crucify him and then cut the bond that, you know, that, that linked us <clears throat> to this, that kind of controlled us. And so now, like in Pinocchio, the strings are off. He's become a son. We've become sons in the son. We can now follow this new law. That's a beautiful thing. So like there's this great text, 1 John 3, 1. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John 1, 12. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. So he destined us. This is the plan. How do we share in that great exchange? It's to become sons of the son, children, adopted. I mean, 2 Peter 1, 4, we become partakers of the divine nature. The son of God became the son of man so that sons of men could become the sons of God. That's amazing to ponder, really, to become children, to become children in, in the son. I There's... Uh, <clears throat> A group out there called Operation Underground, basically they go to try to rescue children that have been trafficked. Talk about a kingdom of darkness. Um, the, the head of the group went and told a story about it. He went to go undercover to try and pose as like he was one of these dirtbags trying, trying to get um, a child. Anyways, he was drawn to these two kids, and he was able to get them out, rescue them. But then it wasn't just rescue them. These kids were on their mind. Well, he eventually adopted them into his own family. And I thought, boy, what a fitting image of what God has done. He has went into the realm of the darkness. I mean, I can think of a few places more dark than someone trafficking children. He goes into that realm of darkness. He ransoms them. He rescues them. He goes undercover so as to do it. And then he adopts them as his children into his own family. I mean, that's, that's really beautiful. Um, but then now as children, as we've been cleansed, he's going to send us on a mission. So again, you're listening to St. Joe Radio. We are um, trying to present to you some Catholic themes about Christmas. My name is Sean Miller. I'm a director of religious education at Immaculate Mary in New Melly. And uh, one of the privileges I get to do is to try and communicate uh, as best I can some of these beautiful teachings of, of our faith. And I, I always like to teach in memory aids because, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't always the, uh, what, let's say, the 
a few, I was a few decades short of a full rosary. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to remember stuff, especially as you get older too. And I want to try and present memory aids. So it helps you have confidence when you're speaking to someone or when you're celebrating things. So Christmas, you know, he, Christ comes to see, to conquer, H to heal, R to reconcile, I to intercede, S to save, T to teach, M to model, A to adopt. And now we're on the last one, S, to send us. You know, there's never an encounter with the Lord and the, in, in, the God in the Bible that doesn't end up sending us on a mission. You know, you think about the Lord. I was sent to come to do the will of my Father. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So you think about those texts after the resurrection when he's with the apostles in the in the upper room. Behold, I send you out. As the Father sent me, so I send you. I give you my peace. I've reconciled the world. So what is what is the church but the continuation of the incarnation? You know, at Christmas, we had... Christ's historical body takes shape, but now, you know, we, we have Christ's mystical body taking shape. Pentecost, he unites together. Christ sends us out. Now, he gives us a nice promise here. I sent you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. That's nice. But he says, be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Sometimes I think when we focus on Christmas, we think about peace. We all want peace on earth. It's the prayer. Christ comes as Prince of Peace. That's the the thing in, uh, in Isaiah, you know, that beautiful text. But I mean, Jesus said, you know, I've been saying about why, why did he come? And he said specifically, he said, do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I've come to cast fire upon the earth. Fire divides. Swords divide. So we got to realize that when we're sent out, it's not going to be a a warm fuzzy, right? It's going to cause division. A lot of people feel that that this time at, at Christmas too, where there is family division, there is division amongst um, philosophies of life, perspectives, uh, different viewpoints, obviously political stuff too. You know, what are your values? One person maybe is turned away from the faith. There's hostility. But it's like, well, God, give us the grace to persevere. You know, Christ came to become this lightning rod and a sign of contradiction. When Simeon foretold that, a sword will pierce our lady's heart. This child is going to be destined for the falling and rising of many. It's just a fact. So it's like we want to do our best to become this, um, you know, peacemaker. That's a beatitude, too. But um, it also can involve conflict and, and, and hardship. So we're, we're, we're sent out. Christ has done all the heavy lifting. He sends us his, his spirit. And now this is the love of God poured in our hearts. To love is to will the good of the other. It's to teach, to speak the truth in love. It's to be patient and kind, all what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But, you know, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in, in the truth. But it bears all things. It's kind of like a hallmark for family. But kind of just to kind of close here, uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit being the love of God poured into our hearts, Again, I said the, the, the main thing is Christ comes to save us. Christmas is about this whole journey of Christ saving us, teaching us, modeling for us, reconciling us, interceding for us. But I said in terms of the sacraments where we receive him, the great sacrament is E, e the Eucharist, right? When I talked about the, the, the acronym CHAMBER, E, think about the I chart. It's at the top. Think about when Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, Jesus is still with us. He's, he's, he's with us always to the close of, of the age. He said, I came down from heaven to bring you 
the bread of life. This gives you eternal life. I am with you always until the close of the age. So his presence is still with us in all sorts of ways, but primarily in the Eucharist. We want to become like the master, become a masterpiece. It's really through the Mass, the Christ Mass, the Eucharist. It just doesn't happen at Christmas. It happens all the time. You know, Bethlehem happens every Sunday, every day of the week. Remember, Bethlehem meant house of bread, O little town of Bethlehem. Christ comes at this house of bread. He's placed away in a manger, a feeding trough for lower animals. And he, then he desires to feed us, to fill us with his own life. You know, you think about, again, at the beginning we said, this is the great bridegroom coming for his bride. Every Holy Communion procession is a here comes the bride. You know, we're walking down the aisle. The songs are being sung. It's a Christ mass. It's a union with the, with the bride. I'm sorry, the, the bridegroom is, is, is uniting with, with the bride. We're filled with his life. We're infused with his spirit. And then ita misa est, the mass, that's where we get the word mass from, misa, descending, missionary, go, you are sent. So Christ sends us out to be his light, his voice, his power in, in this world. And, and the goal then is to try and bring everyone into this kingdom to really celebrate the joy of, of, what, of what Christmas is. So um, one of the things just to kind of end on is that, you know, when we're sent out, we should expect hostility to some degree. But like, um, there's a great um, thing here. There was this man named Penn Gillette, and he said this man tried to evangelize him. Penn is, is a, apparently is a, is a non-believer. But, but he says, if you really think my salvation is at stake, and you are afraid or awkward to communicate what you believe that can help win my salvation— he goes, how much would you have to hate someone not to communicate that message? So when we try and share our faith, even if it's just saying, I'm going to Christmas Mass, <clears throat> or I want to pray before we eat together in, in a meal. I mean, let's try and, and witness to our faith. I always use a story about, like, could you imagine if you were engaged and you want to bring your, your, your girl to the, your fiance to the family, and you tell her, honey, could you please wait in the car? I don't think my family's going to appreciate it if I bring you in. That's how we can, can be sometimes with, with the Christian faith, with Christ. Would you mind just waiting out here? This is not really welcome here, even though we're celebrating you. So lastly, you think about the Fulton Sheen said this, that like after the wise men, they encountered Christ, they worshiped him. And it says, as they left, they were met by an angel to go a different route. And Sheen says, of course so, because nobody who meets Christ goes back the same way that he came. So hopefully... We're sent out. We go forth. Christ changes us. Christmas, Christ mass. Let's do it. Let's live this life. Lord have mercy. Until we meet again, we'll see you later. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.